Oh, now we are. Now we are. Wait, <laughs> We're recording again. How are you? Back in action. <laughs> also, it's 70 degrees here. Also, I just What? Yeah. Shit. It's been 70 degrees for two days, and it's really been fucking up. I don't know. Everybody's in a really weird mood, and I'm... <laughs> I'm kind of just like, you know what, universe, just whatever. I give up. And I broke up with someone. Oh. Yeah. I said, you're really cool and cute, but like with everything going on in my life, I just don't have time to meet up and I don't want to keep messing around because he put up some like drama on his Insta story and I'm like, nope. Wait, no. what did he do? So, like, I, I had to cancel again because I'm teaching a class on Monday. So, this is, like, the second time. This, this will be the third time that I've rescheduled a date. But to be fair, he did say in his personal ad, like, there's a queer, a cool queer dating app that you, like, post, like, text-based ads. Mm-hmm. But, like, I post, he posted that he's, like, poly and casual. So, like, all of a sudden, he's, like, catching feels. And even if he is Polly and like messaging me all the time like multiple times a day and if I don't message him back right away he gets like nervous and anxious and like I'm like I know I've been that person before but not like to that degree I don't think or at least I don't know (laughs) I don't know what it's like to date me won't won't ever want to find out (laughs) but yeah I told him I was like he's like well it's a shame but but I after I rescheduled he was like all like he got a little dramatic about it and um, then he's like okay if I don't how about this if I don't hear from you for, for until February then we like go our separate ways or whatever with no hard feelings I was like okay that sounds good and then I slept on it I was like you know what because I saw his insta stories and it was like it was like I can't blah blah blah, blah. oh yeah flaky people are the bane of my existence when it comes to dating out here I seriously don't get why women I encounter can't be upfront about things and choose to play these dumbass games. It's really annoying. I think I'm just going to stay single and stop looking. It's not worth the energy, TBH. I'm way too awesome and too chill of a person to even entertain those games. First of all. Oh, my God. First of all, I am not playing games. I literally am busy and working at night, and it's hard. And, like, yeah, it's annoying. It's annoying for everybody involved in my life. <laughs> it's annoying for my family. It's annoying for you. Mm-hmm. It's annoying for like me, myself. But that's how it is right now until things kind of like reach a stasis. So after I saw that, I'm like, no, I am not like dealing with this kind no. of like, and then being, and then him being like, I think he was thinking that I'm going to like then step it up and be like, oh, yeah, you're like, oh, uh, no, fuck you. And I'm like, actually, I slept on it. I have too much. I can't. I can't. I think my situation with the Brazilian is great. They respond to me whenever they have time. I respond right away. <laughs> Same. Uh, and, but even so, or like sometimes I respond later because I'm busy. Because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm busy. Even though based on my Insta stories, all it looks like is I play with cats and dogs all day. <laughs> sit in my bra which is like partially true but like those are the fun parts of my day the other parts are like less fun and a lot of answering emails from weird people <laughs> Fair. Um, I'm also trying to adopt a dog and that is very stressful and 
it's like adopting a child and yeah like, <laughs> like this like, guy like the guy yeah. like the guy last week who I told him I was recording and he still called me four times and was like sending me all these messages like oh is this where you ghost me and I was like all right I can't do this. This is the second, like we just matched. This is the second day we're talking and you're giving me attitude because I was busy during a time when I explicitly told you I would be busy. Like, and then he was like, you're the worst kind of woman. Like I have no respect for you. Thanks for wasting my time. And I was like, literally, how did I waste your time? Yeah. That's the other thing too. It's like people on dating apps, they get like mad nervous so quickly as if you don't have a day everybody thinks they're special and deserves attention at all times and it's like excuse me only me and you are deserving of attention at all times. <laughs> oh man so what are we talking about today okay since oh i don't know if we said this so hi i'm kayla and i'm helene and this is high crime it is we're here <laughs> i'm back okay so since it is now 2020 and a lot of people have been, you know, calling it the roaring 20s and like, oh, we're back to the roaring 20s, which obviously ended in a depression. So Yeah, I was going to say, I'm like, it ended in the Great Depression and World War II and the, so much genocide. I don't know if we want to really repeat that because that's kind of where we're headed again. And it's just, I don't know. Well, it's like the people who have like Gatsby weddings and it's just like, you did not read the book or your or you fundamentally misunderstood it if your wedding is Gatsby themed. If your wedding is Gatsby themed and no one dies in a pool at the end. <laughs> Was it even Gatsby themed? If the bride doesn't no. run off with and someone if else. No if the bride doesn't run off with one of the groomsmen and you don't end up dying in a pool, it wasn't Gatsby. And if it doesn't actually have horrible anti-Semitic undertones, which Meyer I Lynch. mean, in the crowds that would do these kinds of weddings, there probably is some anti-Semitism. Honestly, truly. It's like the Nantucket crowd. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, the Nantucket crowd is like, well, you know, they're Jews. You know, not saying there's anything wrong with that. Just, you know, how they are. Oh my and it's God. like, oh, well, no, because I'm actually Jewish. What? <laughs> but... Nobody on Nantucket is electively hanging out with me, so it's okay. That's like, um, you just made me think of that scene in Broad City when Abby first realizes you can, or no, before Abby realizes that you can swipe left on Tinder. And so she just is swiping and swiping and she matches with this guy who she's like, he's hot. And she's like, ooh, show me your tattoo. And he pulls his shirt down and it's a swastika and she just starts singing Two peas in a pod and neither of us is Jewish. <laughs> oh, man. Man, I miss that show. Me too. You know what? I think it shouldn't be the roaring 20s. I think it should be the indigestion 20s. I feel that. Because we're all kind of nervous and nauseous all the time. That's true. Yeah. Oh, right. <laughs> so I was going to say, since everyone's been... Comparing it to the Roaring Twenties, I thought I'd pick a Roaring Twenties murder, Ooh. which I, yeah, I thought that was fun. But turns out fucking Parcast, one of the like biggest podcast networks, had the same idea. And I did all this research and we had to postpone recording. And uh, when I opened my app the other day, 
Crimes of Passion is covering Ruth Snyder right now. And I was like, well, fuck. <laughs> Damn it. The little guy loses again. Yeah. It's one of those, I guess it was bound to happen. One of those true crime podcast coincidences where you're like, how the fuck did we both talk about this random person at the same time? Random person? Everyone knows Ruth Snyder. <laughs> Doing my jaunty 1920s plucky female news reporter. Too bad you guys can't see how Helene is like snapping her shoulders right now. <laughs> That's my, well, we're going to talk about the crime of the 20s. <laughs> the roaring 20s. Oh, and then I have this one random fact I wrote. And I think, I think what happened is I had clicked two links and they both were like this, you know, 19 whatever murder that is like never covered. And I was like, oh, that's crazy. And they're both probably the same one. They totally weren't. So I started reading one and I wrote some stuff down and then I did the rest of the research on this one. But I still think it's interesting. In 1935, the the old Los Angeles Herald dubbed LA the city of headline murders. The city of headline murders. Yeah. So that's how bad LA was. <laughs> um, of course, this story, Ruth Snyder's story doesn't take place in LA or in the 30s. I don't know why I wrote this, but there you go. Random fun fact of the day. And um, yeah, big guy be damned. We're still doing this because I did all the research. <laughs> Do it, Kayla. Follow your journalistic integrity and tell the story you were meant to tell. <laughs> okay. Well, one of the things I found when I was looking into this, um, all that's interesting. I, I love their site. And um, this one article they had about this story, the, this sentence was just so good. Ruth Snyder knew she wanted to kill her husband almost from the moment she met him. Amazing. <laughs> I love her already. <laughs> All right. So Albert Snyder was an art editor at Motorboat Magazine. Yep. I didn't know that Motorboat Magazine needed. Well, I guess before there was photos were pretty expensive. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, he was hopelessly in love with his late fiance, Jesse Guichard. Oh. So much so that he hung a picture of her on the wall in his home even when he and Ruth were married and he named a boat after her. And he was known to tell people that Guichard was the finest woman he had ever met. All right. So stop right there because already no offense to widowers and widowesses, but <laughs> if you're coming in and you're like, I was married to the most beautiful, finest specimen of female beauty and she died you will never be able to compare to that yeah just, exactly there's so many people who haven't had a spouse die that you could date yep. i'm not saying anything but i'm just saying it's like no but i mean but that's true and i even i wrote in my notes i'm like all of that would be fine like it would be totally respectable to still be hopelessly in love with this person you thought you were going to spend your life with that would all be fine if he were single but he was mourning the woman who never had a chance to become his wife while he was married. Also, it's the same as when, like, people I know whose parents have, like, one parent has sadly passed away, and especially what happened when they were younger, that person, that parent never, the kid never grew up to have made a big enough mistake where they would be at adverse with the parent at some yeah. point. 
Um, so the parent, the, the past parent is idolized yep. and like pedestalized as this like perfect being when had they passed when they were older, despite it being like harder, they would have realized that their, you know, mom or dad was a real person and not like this mythic yeah. you know, perfect person who was stolen from them, which puts a lot of pressure on the other parent. My joke before was a little heartless, but, or comment, but I do think it is this really, this thing we don't talk about where it's like, yeah, that person was never a never allowed to make a mistake, and their death kind of crystallizes them mm-hmm. as this mythic, the mythic of what could be. The reality of life is that life is difficult and hard and bumpy, and there would have probably been issues and problems, and yeah, and it could have been a happy life, but they would have been human. Yeah, that's what I have to say. God forbid any of us loses somebody we love. We have to keep that in mind. Yeah. So he was married to Ruth Snyder. Uh, she was obviously not a fan of all of the longing for another woman who was dead. And like you said, therefore impossible to ever, you know, achieve what the status of this woman. Ruth was described as a chilly looking blonde with frosty eyes and one of those marble you bet you will chins. What is a marble you bet you will? Ch- Wait, I'm going to say that in 1920s reporter. Yeah. And Ruth had one of those marble bet you will chins. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds more like, it sounds like something saying it that way, but saying it in our, in our dialect. 2020 dialect sounds very strange. Yeah, it does. She was also called Gay Tommy <laughs> because she was always ready for Roaring Twenties fun. Her name. (laughs) I feel like like Gay Tommy is the name of like a like porn starring a male man. (laughs) That's so funny because I immediately pictured Tommy Pickles. (laughs) (laughs) I just it like it just sounds like oh um, my in my grandmother's yearbook everything is like you're the gayest of all and like dear. you you're you're so gay it's like in the in the 40s it was yeah but the 20s 30s and 40s gay was like happy yeah happy happy cool fun Fun, which still is (laughs) so gay tommy was bored with her sad longing husband so she started hooking up with a guy named henry judd gray Uh uh-oh The two met in 1925 at a cafe in Manhattan. Ruth was 30 years old. Damn. Gray Gray was a corset salesman who lived in the same town as the Snyders. Oh. Yeah, and these classy bitches would secretly meet at the fucking Waldorf Astoria. Damn. And they would book rooms under the names Momsy and Bud. Oh, Judd, why don't we book a room under the name Momsy and Bud and just get away from the world? You and I, <laughs> together, Momsy and Bud, at the Waldorf Astoria, at all places. Now I'm picturing the beginning of Psycho, <laughs> where he's telling her why he can't marry her, because he, he, can't, he can't marry her because he has debt, so instead she has to meet him secretly in hotels and risk becoming an unwanted woman. Oh, yeah. Psycho is a weird, like, I forgot the beginning of the movie, and I was like, huh, this is a little bizarre, but okay. I love, Psycho is honestly one of my all-time favorite horror movies, 
Only obviously the one with Anthony Perkins. I actually just listened to a podcast, I think by Wondery, that was uh, all about the making of Psycho. It's just so interesting. Like all the hoops they had to jump through for the ratings board because they showed a toilet in one scene. Like they... There's this whole scene, this whole episode where they talk about, they showed the shower scene and some of the um, censor people thought they saw some nudity and the others thought they didn't. And so they were like, they sent Alfred Hitchcock a note that was like, take out the nudity, please. So then he just, like his assistant described, he just like shook the film canister a little bit and kind of like moved it around in his hands. And she was like, what are you doing? And he was like, send it back. Say it's, say we've updated it. (laughs) He was, honestly, he was kind of a major asshole and he was very, would do anything for his goals. And he sounds like he was pretty mean to people, but he he also kept fucking uh, good at his job. He kept, I think, Tippi Hedren, I think he kept her on his, like, estate and, like, wouldn't let her leave. Very bizarre. I know he fucked up her whole career. Like, he he loved all these, like, pretty blonde women and, like, he would sign them and if they pissed him off, like, it, they just would, it would it'd be like Harvey Weinstein with Mira Servino. Like, you don't do what he wants you to do and all of a sudden you're you're getting blocked from big film opportunities. Yeah. And everyone's like, well, we don't want to piss, you know. Hitchcock off. Yeah. This time. They kept, in the podcast, they kept calling him Hitch. And it just was so, like, like they were like, yeah, yeah. Hitch. You didn't want to get Hitch mad. And I'm just like, God, this is so weird. Was it, what was the name? Oh, Hitch was the name of the Will Smith movie oh. with Kevin James. I, I love uh, Will Smith. And I, I love Hitch. <laughs> it's silly, but it, I like it. A lot of people love Hitch in the totally. (laughs) (laughs) Is that your way of being like, I do not like Hitch? No. Um, Yeah. I just think, anyways, let's go into my opinions of Kevin James films. (laughs) Okay. Um, Oh, okay. So two years into the affair, they decided they wanted to plan Albert's murder. As as one does. Yes. And divorce. And as you at as usual, as usual, the first thing they did was make sure Albert purchased a forty-eight thousand dollar insurance policy. Mm. If your significant other ever suddenly becomes very passionate about insurance. Get out. That is a major red flag. You know what? Get insurance at the beginning of your... Actually, you know what? Never get life insurance. Don't have kids. Just be, like, worth nothing. Nobody will want to murder you. There you go. What are you worth? What do you got? Nothing. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Um, Okay, so this particular insurance plan had a double indemnity clause... So that if Albert died from an unexpected act of violence, say murder, uh-huh. Ruth would still get money. And not only would she still get the money, but there, it like doubled it. It's very <laughs> strange. But of course, I'm not sure if it's considered unexpected if you plan it. So the, the lovebirds began to plot, but 
you know, as usual, apparently not well. Gray later told the police that they had tried to kill Albert seven times before it actually took. What, what, poison? How many, how can you, how is it not take? I don't know. Not take? Did it just not follow through? I just love that explanation. Well, we tried seven times and the murder just didn't take. So it finally did take on March 20th, 1927. And even then it was like very painfully clear that they still had no fucking clue what they were doing. Their initial plan was for Gray to sneak into the house when Albert was in bed, bludgeon him to death with a four pound window weight, which I had to look up because I didn't know what that was. And it's like, you would put them on your like old windows to like keep them closed. But like four pounds is not that much. Uh, and their plan kind of counted, it kind of hinged on Albert just like immediately dying. Like he gets hit with this four pound window weight and he's just like, uh, all right, bye. Which like, obviously he didn't fucking do. Like he fought back cause he was like, what the fuck is happening? And it was four pounds. So it didn't immobilize him. Um, So in the end, he was garroted, which is basically strangulation with tools. And it's mentioned a lot in the John Bonet Ramsey case. Um, They stuffed his nose with rags soaked in chloroform. And then they tried to stage his death uh, at at his home so it would look like the place had been burgled. Okay, here's where they definitely didn't know they were doing because even I who would never murder somebody would if somebody was sleeping you put chloroform cover their face with chloroform cloth first to knock them out yep then murder them come on people especially if your tool is only four pounds like that's not like I looked up pictures this is just like a little I don't know like a double lego that weighed a little bit and it just would you would stick it on your window like it's not like they got like a mallet or something which also like you don't even have if they're sleeping you don't have to do it that fucking messy like you you tried seven times and this is what you came up with here what I would do I would put chloroform on them while they were sleeping and then drop cyanide drops into their ear so oh, it goes shit. directly into the bloodstream. I thought of that just now on the spot, thinking, how could they have done this better? I was like, have you been thinking about that? <laughs> no, I, I literally just was like, how could they have done this without a mess and efficiently? Because they clearly didn't think of it. No, 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 no. Um, and I... <laughs> I was like, of course, like, it doesn't make that, it doesn't make that much sense because burglars, most burglars, like, obviously you can't ever cover everyone, but most, they're not usually trying to kill people. That's a much bigger charge if they get caught. They just want money. They just want to steal shit. So they're going to try if they're good, you know, think home alone. They're going to try to hit the houses that are empty. So there's no struggle and you get away. And if they do have to murder, it's going to be like, a reactionary thing like it's not going to be like a planned like what are we gonna it's gonna be like oh shit they woke up shoot them or hit them with something they garroting is like a weird huge like strangling takes a long time like that does not seem like a burglar move but yeah that was just part of why this story was so bad i yeah i just Even the John Benet Ramsey case, where you're like, "What? You went through so much effort to." She's a child. You could have just literally murdered her very simply. Yeah, 
It's, but um, ready for it to get racist? Uh, uh, No, but sure. (laughs) So the story Ruth gave was that two quote unquote giant Italians broke into her house in Queens, knocked her unconscious while her nine-year-old daughter was sleeping, murdered her husband, and stole her jewelry. Damn. But thankfully, the police were not dumb and knew right away this was not a burglary gone wrong. Uh, First of all, Ruth didn't even look like she'd been knocked out. You can't say you've been knocked out and then not even have a bruise because you have to get hit pretty fucking hard to get knocked out. Yeah. Yeah, Ruth. (laughs) Then you have, this one's great. Then you have the fact that all of Ruth's supposedly stolen jewelry was found stashed under her mattress. Hey, this is this is a similar theme that comes up again and again. If you're saying your jewelry is stolen, don't hide it in your house. <laughs> Throw it in the river. Sell it beforehand, even. Give it to a fucking friend. I mean, that implicates them, too. But, like, it's at least smarter. But, like, keeping it on the premises, like... If you're saying there was a robbery, the police are going to look to see what happened. And especially if there was also a murder, the f- one of the first things they do, unless they're completely stupid, is searching the fucking house. Especially if it was the crime scene. Yeah. Also, under the, in the couch, come on. Like, as if no one's going to lift up a sofa pillow. That's the first place you look for lost things. Your remote, your phone. Yeah, phone. Phones always end up like I have a cushion on my desk chair here, and my phone. Whenever I lose my phone, it's always somehow under the cushion, no matter where. Yeah, same with my the couch. But oh, (laughs) the whole thing was so horribly planned and so stupid that journalist Damon Runyon at the time called it the dumbbell murder because it was so dumb. Damon Runyon calls it the dumbbell murder because these two dummies couldn't be stupider. (laughs) So why did it get so much attention? Uh, Why did these two people, I I don't, I don't think I have the quote anymore, but it was just so funny because one of the people who was like looking back and writing about it, they were like, yeah, like, why was it these, these weren't celebrities. These weren't interesting, rich people. Like these were no one. Because it was so dumb, Kayla. (laughs) So you feel smarter. Well, also, it took place smack dab in the middle of a tabloid war between the Daily Graphic, the Daily News, and the Daily Mirror, which happened to be owned by William Randolph Hearst. Ah. They desperately tried to outsell each other, printing any lurid content that could draw people in. If there was a murder, they'd print the grossest, like most grisly details. Maureen Beasley, a journalism professor at the University of Maryland, says that at the time, the, which I mean, still pretty true, but tabloids didn't hesitate to make up details because there wasn't any kind of policy to adhere to facts. It's almost like today. <laughs> you could say. So a few days later, Ruth and Gray were arrested at the start of the investigation. Oh, God, Ruth. At the start of the investigation, detectives noticed the name Judd Gray in Ruth's checkbook and address book. So they asked who he was, and Ruth gasped, has he confessed? <gasps> he hadn't. <laughs> uh, but then after that, it was long. It wasn't long. Like, he, he folded immediately. And then, of course, they each claimed the other was the mastermind. Of course, because they're dummies. They're big dummies, Kayla. Just big, plain dummies. 
<laughs> the press even called Gray Mr. Putty or like Putty for being uh-huh. so e- eager to please and such a pushover saying he was the victim and Ruth mesmerized him with her feminine wiles to make him do things. Ruth and her, her beguiling chin caught me off guard. <laughs> I swear, I had nothing to do with this. I actually do have a quote from him, which is, well, and I just want to clarify, I did not get this quote. It is 2020, but I read this quote. Uh, mm-hmm. She would place her face an inch from mine and look deeply into my eyes until I was hers completely. While she hypnotized my mind with her eyes, she would gain control over my body by slapping my cheeks with the palms of her hand. Can you send that to me and I could say it in a 1920s voice? <laughs> I knew that you were going to say that. I should have just immediately sent it to you. <laughs> I'm so excited for this. Okay. She would place her face an inch from mine and look deeply into my eyes until I was hers completely. While she hypnotized my mind with her eyes, she would gain control over my body by slapping my cheeks with the palms of her hand. (laughs) Amazing. Can you believe that? Um, That part. During the trial, Ruth admitted she'd had a loveless marriage to Albert, but she said it was Gray who wanted to kill him. She even claimed that she'd tried to talk him out of it. She said that he had sent her poison powders to kill Albert before, but Ruth couldn't do it. Mm. What if, hear hear me out here. What if they just ran away? Because you could do that in the 20s. You could just run away. Like people would just like leave. Yeah, you could disappear. You would just move to California with your lover and no one would ever fucking know where you went. Yep. And eventually, they never do that. They never think about the option of anything other than murder. Like, it's just so dumb. There are so many things you can do. Get, get a divorce, separate. Like annulment. Annulment. Or if you, if you don't want to, like, commit sin, just live separate lives. Or if it was, like you said, in the 20s, just fucking run away with your lover. Change your name. No one will ever knew you existed. Come on, Bubsy, let's go to Niagara and forget everything. <laughs> they could have just done that. Yep, but they didn't. Uh, on the night of the murder, this is Ruth uh, when she was on trial. She claims that on the night of the murder, I saw Judd Gray beating my husband over the head. I grabbed him by the neck in an attempt to save my husband and he pushed me so that I fell and fainted. When I came to, it was all over. Oh, Ruth. Yeah, no one believed her. Like, literally no one. They laughed during her testimony because it was so obviously fake. And then Gray's lawyer later dubbed Ruth a designing malicious human serpent of a woman. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> that is a... Serious 1920s insult. A conniving, malicious serpent of a woman. <laughs> you are sentenced to life in prison. I hope you've learned your lesson, Ms. Ruth Snyder. Except they were convicted of murder and sentenced to death. Oh. Yep. In the press, Ruth was called a synthetic blonde murderess, mm. a vampire wife, And Ruthless Ruth, the Viking ice matron of Queens Village, which honestly all sound fucking cool to me. The Viking ice murderess of Queensville. You know, everybody's 
when they describe people from the 20s and then you actually look them up and you're like, um, okay. (laughs) And I'd love to point out once again, murderinos are not a new thing because at Ruth's trial, 1,500 people squeezed into the courtroom to watch. Another 2,000 mobbed the streets outside. There were even people who sold fake tickets for $50 and souvenir pins featuring a sash weight, a.k.a. one of the murder weapons, for 10 cents. <gasps> Ruth's last words were, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. No, they know what they do. Yeah. Um, she was trying to do that thing where you get religious to make it seem like you're still innocent. Like in Chicago. Yeah. <laughs> The Convent of the Sacred Heart. <laughs> that movie was so good. Understandable, understandable, perfectly understandable, comprehensible, comprehensible, not a bit reprehensible. It's so defensible. Damn, I don't know it like that. I'm a musical theater nerd. Surprise. <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> <laughs> um, all the big names in crime reporting came out to see Ruth's trial. James M. Kane even used the trial as the inspiration for his later novel, which was made into a movie in 1944 called Double Indemnity. Oh. Mm-hmm. Ruth's death would be the first woman's execution in 30 years. So the case blew the fuck up. Police were worried. They knew it was going to be a a media circus. uh, So they banned media from bringing cameras to the execution. And all the guards at Sing Sing were on the lookout for anyone trying to sneak in a camera. Wow. Yeah. But they didn't notice the one strapped to Tom Howard's leg. Yeah. The New York Daily News really wanted this fucking picture of her getting electrocuted. So much so, they brought in a photographer from the Chicago Tribune so the guards at the prison wouldn't recognize him as one of their own, since they knew all the New York Daily News reporters. This Um, is why we have scannable IDs today. Yep. (laughs) Uh, I mentioned that later in this, too. Um, It it was a tough shot for Howard to get for a myriad of reasons, one being the camera was strapped to his leg. So the only way he could aim is by, like, pointing his toes. (laughs) Like um, He couldn't see what he was taking a picture of, again, strapped to his leg. And he could only risk doing it once because the cameras were contraband at the prison and he didn't want to get kicked out. And, you know, he certainly didn't want to risk them taking the camera. No, they don't. I was just shaking my finger, which (laughs) our listeners cannot see. (laughs) Um, However, he managed to get a photo that wasn't too bad. It was angled and a little blurry, but it still made the front page of the New York Daily News the next morning. The headline for the paper, which sold out in 15 minutes, simply read dead and (laughs) hold on i love a creative headline (laughs) i am going to message you first this is the picture that he took the original picture oh gruesome yeah and then this is the news article (laughs) it's coming dead (laughs) 
It's just so like literally I'll post this picture of course, but it's the entire paper almost is this picture, this blurry picture of her in her like death moment. And it is just like the biggest headline ever bold letters and an exclamation mark dead. Also people are like, serves the bitch right you know it's very like i think it does capitalize on their like that's a wanton woman oh yeah for sure oh yeah um at the time this photo was considered the most famous tabloid photo of the decade it was the first picture ever taken of an electric chair execution fun yeah he earned (laughs) an extra 100 dollars for the photo which today would be $1,478. Damn. Yeah, but as you mentioned earlier, he kind of screwed everyone else over because then after that, anyone attending an execution was thoroughly searched, especially their pant legs. Um, But fun fact, his camera was later donated to the Smithsonian. Cool. Yeah, so that is uh, the story of Ruthless Ruth. Ah, Ruthless Ruth. A real dumb, she's a real dumbbell, that one. (laughs) I know. I love, like, reading these old articles. It was just great because, like, the 20s, the way they covered crime, it was just so funny. Everything, like, is sing-songy. Yeah. The murder, (laughs) the murder mistress of malfeasance doubled down dummy on Daniel. (laughs) (laughs) Um... Bojack Horseman does a really good, like, absurd take on, like, the madcap reporters of, like, the 20s and 30s. Yeah. Where, at, like, the Vanity Fair of the Bojack universe, there's just this, like, 1920s duo, and they're like, come on, Nick, let's go. Let's, let's have a gin cocktail and get this story, get the scoop. It's like, (laughs) it's like, what? But it's like, it works. It's amazing. That's a show I still have to watch. I also loved it because I felt that somewhere I have a kindred spirit in the BoJack writer's room who's like, you know what would be great? If we spoke in 1920s, like, weird movie talk. There's also the alternative, which is the, like, New York City, like, kind of trashy girl who's like, what, gee? What, gee, Kayla? We're going to get in real trouble for this murder. (laughs) You, I watch a lot of old movies, so there's like, mm. there's like the different tropes and like yeah. the different, and like the. We just, um, we, uh, in our editorial meeting at work, they, they did this game where we were split into groups and everybody was given a movie genre and you had to do an elevator pitch for a movie in that genre that's just completely made up of tropes of that genre. And so like my group got horror and it was, um, I don't even know the title because they made it so fucking long, but the plot was that it was in, it was an escape room, a pop-up room that took place in an abandoned hospital that was built on an Indian burial ground. <laughs> Hitting all the hot. <laughs> and like, they didn't, there were the, you know, we covered the technology issue because when you do an escape room, you have to put your phones in that locker so you don't have any phones. 
um, Matthew Lillard was the owner of the pop-up uh, escape huh. room. <laughs> Amazing. Oh, by the way, I was covering the NBC TCAs yesterday, and Matthew Lillard was there, and they just, the way they set up the red carpet was just, I mean, no one was monitoring it. So, like, it's, like, shaped like a horseshoe, and you would start on the one side, and they would let reporters talk for, like, 30 minutes each, and it's, like, there's a lot of people here. So, by the time they'd get to, like, the first half of the horseshoe, the stars would just leave. So, like, we didn't get to talk to Matthew Lillard, and I was so bummed because, like, I had questions based on his show, you know, so I wasn't just, like, dicking around. But I wanted, at the end, I wanted to have him say in the camera, you got me too deep. (laughs) And he walked by, and I was like, is he coming back? And they were like, no, we're sorry. He had a heart out. And I was like, oh. Oh. Ooh. (laughs) You know what? Celebrities should just be required to talk to reporters forever. Well, actually, you know, Rosario Dawson came around, and, of co- and I, I had talked to her people beforehand. She has this new show coming out called Briar Patch, and it's like this, like, she's like this badass who's, her sister died. She goes back to their hometown, and she's gonna, like, you know, there's all this corruption and shit, and, like, she's gonna find out who the fuck killed her sister. Like, it sounds cool. Um, and uh, so they, when she finally does get around to us, they were trying to get her to leave. And I just was like, hey, like, can we even get a picture then? Like, we didn't even get to talk to her. And they were like, okay. And she came over and I just like, like, I shook her hand and I was like, you know, it's great to meet you, whatever. But I was like, thank And, you know, when she's about to leave, I was like, and thank you so much for coming around to us. Like, it was really nice of you that you made sure to make time for everyone and she was like oh my god no of course you're so right like I I was doing all those long interviews like 20 minutes over there and I just kept thinking like how am I ever going to get to the other side and and then she answered a couple questions for us she was so fucking cool I and I know like celebrities hate or like talent hate um because they get put in the um when they do the, what are the ones called where they have to like sit in the same booth for like 10 hours while different press outlets come through? I don't know. I forget what it is, whatever it's called, but they hate that because they're asked the same questions yeah. all the time and whatever. So I get it. But also like on the reporter end, we're sent out to do a job. And if we don't get a response, then we get in trouble. Yeah. But but also it's not even just that. It's like we forget that the job that we're doing is giving you free promotion. Yes, like, yes, yes. You're releasing a TV show in a time that Netflix alone has like hundreds of new shows every year. So like you need to like most people don't even have cable anymore. You need to make your content fucking stick. And if people are going to especially people with niche audiences because niche audiences are very supportive of whatever thing they're interested in. Yes. Like if you want us to put our content out saying like, Hey, look, I talked to this person. This show sounds cool. Like we're doing, like, I know it seems like because it's like a cool event and you get to access celebrities. It's like, Oh, you're lucky to go. And it's like, yeah, it's cool. But also like, I'm the one doing the work here. I'm the one who's doing a job so that your show is seen and, like, it wasn't the celebrities that were necessarily disrespectful. It was more so the the publicists who I realize are also doing a job 
But at these kind of events, like there's no reason anyone should talk to someone for 20 minutes or more because you're only going to use a minute or two of any of that footage, you know? So like the publicist, it's the publicist's job to be like, okay, next. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. Blah, blah, blah. Next. Yep. And they, and we watched and timed and they weren't doing it, but I don't want to complain about it too much because that's a whole other conversation. But I just wanted to say that she was super fucking cool. And I'm definitely going to watch Briar Patch. And I don't know. It's cool when you meet someone that you, like, have been a fan of and they're not shitty people. Because everyone's always like, don't meet your heroes. And I'm like, I don't usually. But (laughs) Um, she was really cool and gorgeous, obviously. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Helene, tell everybody what you just took out. I took out um, a puffy crab pen. It's Is it from because we're Fly- cancers? Yeah, it's from Flying Tiger, and it's a giant blue puff ball on a sparkly pen, and then it has sparkly crab eyes and claws. It's really cute. It's super cute, and it was like a dollar because it's Flying Tiger. Oh, I don't know what that is. I also, I'm pretty sure I also got this cow pencil there, too. Oh, is this a store or like a website? Yeah, it's a store. I got these there, these flower pens. Oh my God, they're so cute. Yeah, they're super cute. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I've never heard of this store. Oh, I also got this punching sloth. <laughs> it's wearing a crown. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Now this is Home Shopping Network. Now? With- <laughs> Three easy payments of $7,500. <laughs> you could have this fighting sloth pen. Only at that price. DM <laughs> That's like I saw someone on Facebook. They were like selling like an old TV or something. And it was like used for like a year. And they showed the ad or like the initial where they bought the TV. And they were selling it for like $40 less. And I'm like, you can't do that with electronics. Not only is it used, but at this point, there's like 18 better, newer TVs like that, that are smart TVs that are the same price. Yeah, stop it. Like I no was going to sell my TV and and it's like a, um, I don't know, it's like a n- nice like 32 inch, like whatever. It's not a smart TV, but it like works and there's nothing, I don't know, there's something wrong with it. I just had two because my roommate has a TV and like $50 people are messaging me like, will you take 20? And I was like, fuck dude, like, no, that's not even worth me driving to you. So yeah, I don't know. I just thought that was funny. I was like, yeah, you can't sell it for what you got it. That's not how resale works. No. Although I think people get like twist, get it twisted because there's like, you know, like Supreme or like other things have a high resale value. Oh yeah. (laughs) Like Like nothing, nothing you could buy at like Walmart or Best Buy is going to have more value after you use it. Unless you're like fucking like, I don't know, Miley Cyrus or something. And their super fan wants it. I don't know why I said Miley Cyrus. (laughs) The first one who popped into my head was Kesha. And I was like, interesting. Kesha. Yep. My mind just went blank. <laughs> Maybe it's a good that's a that's a sign that we should end this episode. 
Okay. <laughs> so check us out on Instagram. Yeah, check us out there. Did you know that we're there? Can you say it? Check us out on Instagram. No, the handle. Oh, high crime pod. <laughs> and Twitter, we are high crime pod. And Facebook, high crime pod. <laughs> What's our website, Elaine? Highcrimepod.com. And if anyone has any questions, comments, concerns, compliments, they can email us at info at highcrimepod.com. Look at that. It all matches and coordinates. Info at highcrimepod.com. But first, ask dad or mom. <laughs> Remember the Barbie? Yeah, I remember that all those, like, every time, like, Nickelodeon or anyone was, like, show, like, doing, like, commercials or whatever, it would be, like, but make sure you ask your parents first. Which we never did, and then we'd go on, like, Nickelodeon chat room, and it would be, like, hey, I'm a 50-year-old man. What's your name? (laughs) I definitely went in Nickelodeon chat rooms. (laughs) It was that, the old AOL, when you could just click, and it would be, like, all the different chat rooms, and they had, like, a preteen one, and they had, like... I remember, go, like, I wasn't a chat room kind of kid. Like, I would go to the chat rooms, and it would be, like, a million messages a minute, and I'd be like, who does this? These people aren't real. We just, like, loved to just, like, watch. Like, we would just go in my, like, we had a computer room because computers were, like, enormous desktops, and we would yeah. sit in there and just, like, it, I mean, honestly, they show it on – pen 15 like that's seriously how it was we would just like sit behind the computer like giggling and you it would be like asl and you're like oh my god <laughs> but we didn't like do anything unlike pen 15 i was not trying to date anyone <laughs> but if you haven't seen that show it's so fucking funny and just like nostalgic in the worst ways oh my god it just it it's like cringe core because yes. you're like oh, so no. cringe but so funny so good yeah really good oh I was just because I got an Instagram I'm like is it my crush of course it's not <laughs> why everybody's messaging me except my crush yep that's usually how it goes yeah it, I'm left on scene oh yeah god all right <laughs> <laughs> Sure, leave me on read, you wanton <laughs> devil. You wanton devil. Later, later buds. Later, buds. <laughs> buds later? Oh no, buds later. Oh, buds later sounds like a 1920s character. Like a yeah. 1920s baseball player accused of a crime. Yes, first, buds later. First, first baseman for the Yankees, buds later. Stole 50,000. Oh, shit. This is all made up, of course. <laughs> we don't want to insult any possible living or dead Buds Laters. Exactly. On the next episode of High Crime, we have a Buds Later fantasy episode. Oh, my God. No, we don't. We, we only report true crime because we're a truth and fact-based true crime podcast. With weed. With weed and jokes. Okay. Bye. Okay. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> <laughs> oh,